0: guess now we can get started. Uh, first, want to thank uh, the prophet for uh, allowing me to, and to minister uh, this morning. Um, I believe that there will be a time, um, and it, and it might be in the uh, the near future, that God uh, will allow me to share uh, some of the things that um, He Showed, taught, had us live through um, here in the recent past, and the prophet play, uh, played a role in that as did other people here in the church. So, um, whenever uh, the Lord wills for that to happen, um, will we'll just follow the Spirit. Amen. Uh, Brother and Sister Lester, it's good to see you all this morning. We're praying for you and your family. Um, As we were praying uh, uh, this morning, uh, uh, a scripture came to my mind, and then uh, a story came to my mind that's uh, both in the New Testament. The first, uh, the scripture, uh, I I believe, is in the book of James, and uh, it just says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like a a, a formula for success. We, we, we do a lot of searching, a lot of asking, a lot of reading and praying and studying and and wondering how how we're going to be successful, how are we going to get over this, how should we. And James just said, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Now, obviously, the, the story doesn't stop there uh, because you continue breathing. And as we continue breathing, there's going to be things that we face in life. But I think as as we follow uh, those steps that he put in place for the church to live by, submitting yourself to God, and that you can read the words But whenever you come up to those situations in life um, that God uh, tests, how much are you submitted uh, to God? Saying it, reading it, that's easy. That's cheap. But actually doing it is totally different. Because when you're submitted to God, you're no longer in charge, it's not your opinion. It's not what you want to do. It's not how you think life should go. You're submitted to someone else's authority. And resisting the devil, the only way that you can do that is if you have the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. I got a few nods, but I hadn't heard of, of That's the only way to be able to live a victorious life. and There's no... Um, quoting uh, enough scripture that there's no praying enough prayers or fasting enough meals, if you don't have the spirit of God active in your life, you can resist the devil all you want to, and he's just going to suffer and laugh at you. But if you have the power of Jesus Christ living on the inside of you, he has no choice but to exit the room whenever you tell him to get out, and he's resisting. Sometimes God teaches us things in life uh, the uh, trials that w- we call them. Uh, but there are some things in life that I don't believe that we're supposed to put up with. But we put up with them and put up with them and put up with them thinking, well, this is just my lot in life. No, your problem is, is you first you're not submitted to God, and you haven't resisted the devil. That's why he hasn't went anywhere. The second story that came to uh, my mind was the story that, is labeled the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible purposely states the words that she spent all she had. She tried everything. I'm sure every uh, therapy, every prescription that the doctors could have given her during those days, she tried everything. And the Bible says... She got worse. So the thought that came to me after that was when you've done all you can do, it's time to see what all he can do. Her problem wasn't something that she dealt with over a weekend. She didn't have a bad day. She had a bad couple of 12 years. But when she got to the end of her rope and she tried everything, there had been rumors about this man that could heal. He could deliver people. He was raising the dead. He was touching lepers. He was doing things that, first of all, you wasn't supposed to do. And second of all, he was changing people's lives that absolutely had no hope. And she thought, well, I've done everything else. Why not try him? When you've done all you can do, why don't you just see what all he can do? He just might surprise you. First Samuel chapter 17. We'll start in verse number 2. First Samuel 17, verse number 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Whose height was six cubits and a span, he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. I wonder why the Bible goes into such a detail on who this man was, how big he was, the armor he had on, his persona. Verse number seven says, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. Can you imagine carrying that dude's shield? I mean, your shield's supposed to cover your body. His shield bearer must have been a stud. Verse number 8, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And let him, nope, I skipped something. And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. And let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man. That we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I'm sure most of you have heard this story sometime in your walk with God. But for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about what happened when Goliath met a giant. No, that wasn't a misstatement. I didn't read it wrong in the Bible. But sometimes we mislabel people a giant by what we see instead of who they are and what they do. Goliath was in the wrong place. He stood in between Israel and the Philistine army. Philistines representing the world, Israel representing God. The New Testament tells us that there was only one man between God and men, and that was the man, Christ Jesus. And we could go in and read... Uh, A lot more scriptures about uh, this story here, and I actually have those uh, printed out. But the story starts out describing the scenario, two armies that are waging war against each other. But then it also is talking about a champion that is named Goliath, and it goes into a physical description of this man. Then it starts with the story of David going back and forth from Saul. It goes from the champion of Goliath and then it turns into a different scene and now we're talking about a boy uh, named David. and He is the youngest of eight brothers. Um, in fact, he, uh, he probably got the job nobody else wanted. He's tending sheep a lot of great men in the Bible were shepherds. Amos, Moses, David. But then we we pick up the story where David's dad said, hey, it's time for you to go uh, check out and see what's going on. Bring some stuff to your brothers, bring some stuff to the captains, and uh, bring us word of the war. See see what is going on. About the time that David's chariot rolls up, the two armies are coming together, and then here comes Goliath. And he begins to make his challenge one more time. And the Bible says that he didn't do this one time. He didn't do it two or three times. He did it for 40 days. Saul even went as far as to put a reward out there. You know, he's shaking and hiding in his tent, and he's saying if anyone decides to fight the man and if he gets lucky enough to kill him, he will have great riches. He'll get my daughter, and he will be tax-free, him and his father's house. David got there, and he said, wait a minute, what's going to happen to this guy? He said, You're going to get the king's daughter, great riches, and tax-free. And then his oldest brother decides to join the conversation and said, we know exactly why you're here. And who, in his own ways, he tried to uh, insult David. He said, why and who have you left those few sheep with? David was, what did I do? I was... I'm just here asking what d- dad said to come ask. I didn't expect to see you all so scared. Now this is coming from a little brother, so it's probably not going over very well. He tur- David turned one more time and said, what is going to be done for the man who kills the champion? And they told him, One more time. David's mind, he was thinking, I was going to fight the guy for free. It's a good thing I didn't offer before you said that. And David said, hey, don't let anyone's heart fail them because of him. I'll fight him. And they immediately Brought word to Saul. Saul, we have found someone to fight Goliath. And I'm sure in uh, his royal manner, he was excited. Who is this valiant warrior? Who is this brave soldier who has taken the challenge? And they bring in a teenage shepherd boy. And David looked at Saul and... Saul looked at David and said, he said, you can't go fight him. He said, you're a youth. And this guy, he's been a warrior from his youth. And David said, well, you're right. From the outside, I just look like the youngest of my brothers. From the outside, I just look like a teenage shepherd boy. We know that he was a teenager. The Bible doesn't tell his age at this time, but it does say that all the men of war started at the age of 20. So he was younger than 20 because he wasn't at war yet. And he began to tell Saul, Saul, there's a little few things in my resume that you might not know about. You see, back at home in in my room, I have a bear skin rug. I have one on my wall, and that used to belong to a lion. I took his life. The Bible even said lions and bears, not just one lion and not just one bear. I would go as far as to say David was crazy. I could say that because I don't think anyone in their right mind, without the technology of weapons that we have today, is going after a sheep that just got took by a lion or by a bear. This young man had a backbone, as we used to say, like a saw log. And for those of you that don't know what a saw log is, it is the widest part of a tree that they use for lumber. It was straight, strong. Someone even told me, I'll withhold the name to protect the guilty. They said, oh, I'm not really sure if I believe that about David. He, de- he was probably just your typical teenager, and he was just naive. I said, Well,. I don't know if I support that theory or not because someone on the back side of the hills of Bethlehem is not going to chase after a lion because there's no one there to pat him on the back and go, wow, you're really brave. (laughs) David is looking at Saul and says, Saul, you know, I'm not old enough to join your army yet. I don't have any records as far as you know, but there were times that Lions and bears came to the flock that I was put in charge of and they would take an innocent lamb out of the flock and I would run after him. I would grab him by his beard and I would take that lamb out. Something was drastically different about David. And Saul said, well, I guess it can't hurt. So Saul said, bring my armor in here. Put it on David. Now that had to look awkward in itself because the Bible says Saul was head and shoulders taller than most, if not all, men in Israel. And here he is putting his armor on a teenage shepherd boy. He's like, I, I'm not going to use this. You, you try it. And it didn't take long for David to see. you know, I can't. I can't go out in this. I'm not going to use this. So he put it down. He said, but one thing I am familiar with, and he might have reached in his pocket, put out a little sling. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It don't sound like a naive teenager. That sounded like somebody who had tested God before and saw God come through for him. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Yeah, I bet he was saying that. He was thinking, I'm not gonna have to, to pay out no reward today. The Bible says that David took five smooth stones and his staff, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. I'm reading in verse 42, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but... A youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. So he looked at him and said, Man, this is a pretty boy. He said, But am I a dog? That you insult me, that you come to me with sticks? And then he began to taunt David. He said, I am going to feed your flesh. To the, to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. David wasn't having any of it. He said, you come to me with a sword. This guy's sword and spear was probably bigger than David was. But how many times are we intimidated about what we see? We don't even fight the battle because we're already defeated in what we see and what we hear. He said, there's great men of war hiding in their tents right now, what chance do you have? And most of the time we go, you know what, you're right. I don't have any choice. And we go back and we sit down. And day after day, the same challenge comes, the same taunting comes. He says, you come with me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. he said, but I come to you. In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Sounds just a little bit cocky. I think you got to be cocky and crazy to do some of the things that God wants us to do. Because people who don't have any faith they're average, they'll never see anything, and they hear other people's stories and watch someone else t- t- take down the giant. He said, I will strike you down. He said, I'm also going to cut your head off. It's kind of interesting. He said, I'm going to cut your head off. David didn't have a sword. So what he's telling you is, he's, I'm going to cut your head off with your sword. I got a staff in one hand and a slingshot in the other. But before this battle's over with, pal, I'm using your sword to cut your head off. And he said, oh, by the way, I, I'm going to, um, your d- dead bodies is going to be fed on by the the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Why? That all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Why does God put us in impossible situations that it seems? Why? Because we claim our God is different than anybody else's. And it's time that we would stand up and use the faith that he give each one of us to let them know there's a God in San Antonio. There's a God who lives inside of me. Amen. Your God might be dead. He might be paralyzed. He might be stuck somewhere doing something, but my God's alive. My God can do things. And the interesting thing of David's proclamation when he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, he didn't have the power of the name of Jesus that we have today. He knew him by different names that God would reveal himself to in the Old Testament. He knew him as El Shaddai. He knew him as Elohim or as Jehovah or as Yahweh. He did not know the name and the power of Jesus but yet he could look a man who was almost 10 foot tall and said, today you're coming down because of the God of Israel. That's why I could tell you today we're going to talk about when Goliath met a giant. To show the tenacity of David, he didn't just tentatively walked to the battle line. The Bible says he ran to meet the Philistine. And he prevailed over him with a sling and a stone. He put his hand in his bag. He took out one stone, slung it and struck the Philistine, on his forehead. Verse 51 said that he ran and stood over the Philistine, took out his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, what did they do? As the bishop said, they slap it in the beef for boogie and they get out of there. Because all of their hope was in him. All of Israel's fear was in him. But when, when he went down, they went out. All because Goliath finally met a giant. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. Suddenly the men of Israel replaced fear with courage. These are the same men for over 40 days have not answered his challenge. The same men that have heard the reward of riches and marriage of his daughter and tax-free, they didn't accept it. No one's going to go meet him and say, hey, have you seen this guy? But they pursued the Philistines as far as Gath, which is kind of ironic, that's Goliath's hometown. And the gates of Ekron, so the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. So how do you get to plunder the camp of the enemy? Someone's got to stand up to the big guy. I actually read somewhere where it said, it's not obviously in the Bible, but it said that there was uh, a chance that Goliath had poor eyesight. Why did he tell David, come here? Get to where I can see you. Maybe he was taunting an army he really couldn't see, but they were afraid of him because of how big he was and what they thought he could do to them. I like what David did. He took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and he put his armor in his tent. You see, you know, I I got a spot on, on my wall right next to the lion skin. I'm going to hang this armor. It's right across the room from my bear skin rug. Now, in some of the uh, the information that I've read. Goliath was somewhere around nine foot, nine inches tall. Now, if, you, if you know anything about basketball, the, the rim is ten foot from the floor upward, nine foot, nine inches tall. The coat of mail he wore was between 175 to 200 pounds. The head of his spear weighed between 20 and 25 pounds. He also wore a bronze helmet, bronze leggings to protect his shins. A spear slung between his shoulders and he carried a bronze javelin. There was also a shield carrier who went before him in battle. Like I said earlier, this man more than likely carried a life-size shield. A shield that's About that big is not going to do a guy that big any good. Another interesting thing is they both trained their whole life for that battle. Goliath on the battlefield, David as a shepherd. It doesn't seem like God would pick a shepherd boy to fight a man on a battlefield. But God never does things the way that we think he should. In fact, he very rarely uses the people we think he should use. The people who are qualified normally are sitting down not using the things that God gave them, so he goes ahead and uses someone else. It's like I told you the the other day, Brother Lane, God took from someone else, and he gave you their mantle. You never asked for it. You never wanted it. Because if they wasn't using it, God gave it to you. Not only did the encounters with the bear and the lion prepare David for his eventual meeting with Goliath, but his untold hours of practice with a slingshot. Seems like a child's toy, but actually, it was a very high tech weapon in those days, a sling was a leather pouch with two long cords attached to it and a projectile, either a rock or a lead ball, was placed into its pouch. It was not a child's toy. It's, in fact, an incredibly devastating weapon. If you do the calculations on the ballistics on the stopping power of the rock fired from David's sling, it's roughly equal to the stopping power of a forty caliber handgun. No wonder why a big boy hit the dirt. It was the same thing if David would have pulled out a Glock 45 and went David was an expert at what he was doing. It wasn't an accident that God had him isolated on the backside of the hills of Bethlehem watching sheep, protecting sheep, fighting lions, fighting bears, and using a sling. Because he said, one day, David, you're going to be faced with with somebody else's giant, but you're going to bring him down. Everyone else is going to be hiding and be afraid, but because of you have uh, surrendered yourself to my will, you're going to be very prepared for this battle. Where others may have looked at Goliath as this man is so big, there's no way I can defeat him. David may have looked at him, this guy is so big, there's no way I can miss. Maybe that's the reason why it took four extra stones. I don't know. But it only took one. And it hit him in the only place that he was vulnerable, his forehead. It's ironic that whenever the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and was placed in the temple with the Philistine god Dagon, They'd come in time and time again, and he would be face down. Well, when David got finished with Goliath, he was also face down. First Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 6. 1 Chronicles 20, verse 6 says, And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These were descended from the giants in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and by his servants. Something interesting about this little short passage that we just read is Jonathan was David's nephew. I wonder what would have happened if years before if David would have ignored Goliath and wouldn't have taken him down. But because... David defeated the giant, now someone in David's family has the courage to take down their own giant. Might be a little bit easier to stand up and slay a giant if someone in your family already has. This is a little bit quieter than what it was earlier because it's a little easier to let somebody else take him down. Parents, it's vital for us to conquer our giants so our kids won't fight our battles. And whenever they face their own, they'll have the courage and they'll know Oh, look, there's the armor of Goliath. That's when, yeah, that's when Uncle David, he accepted the fight. And God can be able to put courage inside of them that no matter what they face, no matter what comes through their little lives, throughout their lives as adults and teenagers, they'll have the courage to stand up for what's right. I have a uh, a feeling that courage is contagious. When we got a teenage shepherd boy that just took down a man that's almost 10 feet tall, wearing 200 pounds of armor, suddenly the army of Israel gets courage. This isn't six or eight or 12 men. This is thousands of men and not one of them accepted the challenge. But as soon as he went down, courage swept through the camp. And what had taunted them for over 40 days, what had put fear in them, it's kind of like at an auctioneer or in a classroom or something. You don't never want to make contact, eye contact with the teacher. They're going to call on you. I'm sure it was like that with with the children eventually. Like, don't look at the dude man. don't look at him. He'll call you out. but David totally ignored reason because reason said he shouldn't have been on that battlefield. It, his dad had him watching sheep, he had cheese. On his wagon, he's supposed to be handing out to people. All he's supposed to do is give the cheese and the food that he brought, get the news, head back home and watch the sheep. And suddenly he finds himself standing in front of Goliath. Now I have probably four more pages of notes that I I would be um, ignorant to try to rush through here. Um, So uh, I'm probably just going to stop right now. But there are many other instances in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that mentions groups of giants. Today, we may not have physical giants that they faced uh, then, but we do have things in our life that are gigantic. Jesus even referred to that as a mountain. He said, if you think that this mountain's big, he said, if you have faith, all you got to do is tell it to be plucked up and be cast into the sea, and it has to obey you. We have giants in our life. All of us do. But the thing about giants is you can ignore them. They ain't going away. eventually they're either going to plunder your camp or you're going to plunder theirs. Thank you for your time this morning.